The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Morning. If you have your Bibles with you, if you would, along with myself, go to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4 is where we find ourselves this morning. We've made our way all the way through the book. We have this last chapter to look at together. Next week we'll be back in Ephesians to finish the book of Ephesians that we started at the beginning of the year. But we'll do a quick recap of, of Jonah, the story of Jonah. You remember at the very beginning in chapter one, he heard the word of the Lord. And the Lord said, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And Jonah decided that that was not a good idea. And so he fled. He ran away. He ran as far west as he could go. Some say all the way to Spain. Might be where Tarshish was. He was trying to get to Tarshish. But yet, that didn't work out. He got into a boat after paying a lot of money to get onto this boat. And while on this boat, he was on the sea. And the Bible tells us that the Lord caused a great storm to come. And so a great storm happened. It started to toss the boat to and fro. The, the mariners, the people who were working on the boat, were very scared for their life, started to call out to all the gods that they could think of. And they find Jonah sleeping in the bottom of the boat. And they come to him and they say, Arise, what are you doing? Call out to your God. And so they start to question him a little bit. He tells them about his God, Jonah does, says, I serve the God who made the sea and also the dry ground. And the Bible tells us that scared these people a little bit. And so they began to try to figure out what to do, and they cast lots to determine who is causing this problem. A lot falls to Jonah. And Jonah tells them very simply, pick me up and throw me overboard and everything will be solved. Well, these being what seem to be somewhat good men, they're like, this isn't a good idea. We don't want to kill this guy. And so they try their best to get to shore. It doesn't work. So eventually they do that. They, they throw Jonah overboard. And so then in chapter two, as we get to chapter two, we see that Jonah was swallowed by a fish. And chapter two tells us that it's a prayer that Jonah prays when he's in the belly of the fish and he calls out to the Lord. And it seems in jo as, as Jonah is praying that there's repentance in Jonah's life because he even gets to a point where he says, I vow to do what you've called me to do. Right? I, I'm seeking after you. I, I understand that you are God, kind of that I am not. And so at the end of chapter two, the Lord tells the fish to vomit Jonah back on dry ground, and that happens. We don't know the time frame, though, from the end of that to what happens in chapter 3, but in chapter 3 it says Jonah does what he was called to do by the Lord. He, he goes to Nineveh, to that great city, and he, he tells them and, and speaks to them the things that God had told him to say, which wasn't many things to say, because in verse 4 of chapter 3, Jonah, it says, just goes to the city and he says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But what we looked at last week is we looked at the power of the word of God and that God has given us his word and God used his word in that huge city that people started to repent. And the word got all the way to the king, it says, and even the king himself, the king of Nineveh, it says, takes off his royal robes, puts on sackcloth and ashes and starts to fast. And he says, maybe, just maybe, if we repent, if we don't do the evil and wicked things that we have been doing, maybe God will spare us. Maybe God will relent. And we see God's great mercy at the end of chapter 3 and verse 10 because it says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. 
And so we see the mercy of God being poured out on this whole town, on this whole nation. And so what we will get to today is we see Jonah's response to what God has done. And what we would expect to see, I would think, would be a prophet of God ecstatic because the word of God has achieved what it needed to achieve. And we see people now worshiping God and and turning to the true God, the one true God, and relenting from their evil ways. So let's read Jonah 4 together, and let's see how Jonah responds to this situation. Verse 1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be made a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, Nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Kind of an interesting ending to the book of Jonah. We see three questions being posed in this chapter, two of which are kind of the same question, very similar in nature. But we see that Jonah ends with a question that doesn't get answered. Jonah doesn't answer that question. I don't know if he did answer God in that situation, but it's a a literary technique because what it does is it leaves us answering that question also, not just Jonah. And so we'll get there to where we have to answer the same question that Jonah is needing to answer. But it is an interesting way to end a book. It doesn't end with an answer. Okay, now this is what we know and this is what we do. Instead, it ends with a question after a parable where we should understand exactly what the answer is and what God is getting at. And so sadly, when we start Jonah chapter four, we see Jonah's heart being revealed in the very first three verses. As I mentioned a moment ago, we would assume that a prophet of God who was called by God to go to a city to declare to them the word of God would be very excited when the word of God actually produces from it much fruit. I mean, it would be an amazing thing, I would think, as a pastor or as a 
teacher. I mean, could you imagine Sunday school teachers, those of you who taught this morning, who taught our kids and you taught our youth and who are back teaching the adults, could you imagine if after the lesson, every single person in your class looked at you and was like, exactly. That is exactly right. This is exactly what we need to be doing. We need to repent. We need to turn from our ways. We need to trust in the Lord. Thank you for sharing this with us. The word of God is so true and real. Can you imagine? You might be even nervous to come back next week, but it would be real exciting. Like, man, this, this actually worked. Normally I see nothing. Normally they eat their donut and then it's like they're gone. But this week, wow, there they are. But no, not for Jonah. Jonah gets upset. He's not happy at what, what is going on here. We see him get angry and we get to peer into his heart because the Bible tells us that Jonah is full of anger over Nineveh and over God's mercy. And so a question I think that would come to my mind, might come to yours as well, is why is he so angry? Well, it could just simply be Jonah has a bloodlust for his enemies. It could be that. It could be that Jonah just wants to see them dead. He doesn't like those people. They're enemies of Israel. And he would rather them die than receive mercy. That could be in his heart. We do not know. It could be he's actually scared for Israel because what he thought was going to happen was that God would destroy Nineveh, which is the enemy of Israel, and it would help preserve Israel. It would help save Israel. And so maybe what Jonah's fear is, is he's thinking, now that God is relenting of this disaster, that just means more years of trouble for Israel because these are Israel's enemies. Or maybe he feels God is choosing Gentiles over Jews. Maybe that's what it is. And maybe he doesn't like that that that's the situation. Or maybe he just feels God's downright wrong. We've seen that before when he fled from God and God's word. And so maybe he's just getting to the point to where he thinks God doesn't really know what he's doing. But whatever it is, Jonah is so angry that he really wants to die, right? He's, he's mad that God has relented. He's mad that God would show mercy. And he is so angry that he wants to die. We talked about this in the first chapter of wondering why would he flee? And we, we read chapter four, verse two, because it says why he fleed. It says why he's been going through this all along is he knew, Jonah knew God would relent. He knew that God was gracious, that he had steadfast love. And this is what made him so angry. You see, these are the words that we use to try to draw people to God. These are the words that we try to share with people to get them excited about who God is. He's full of steadfast love. He's full of mercy. He's full of kindness. But yet we see in Jonah's heart, these are the exact things that had him fleeing from God. These are the exact things that really caused him to not want to do what God would have him do. And so within Jonah's heart at this moment is really some serious anger, great anger issues. And so what comes out of this after the first three verses is we get the very first question that God will ask Jonah. And he asks him in verse four, the Lord says, do you do well to be angry? That is the question that God poses to Jonah. Do you do well to be angry? Now it's interesting because we do not see an answer from Jonah here in this instance. Yet I think the reason we don't see an answer is because Jonah wasn't going to be talked down from his anger at this moment. 
Maybe you've been there in your life before where you're so angry. It doesn't matter what other people say to you. And maybe you've been like this way too. I know this has happened to me. I am so angry over something. And then somebody very clearly proves me wrong in my anger. It makes me more angry. Have you ever been there? Because now you know how dumb you are in the situation. And you realize, I either need to double down here or seek forgiveness. And most of the time for Tim, I'm doubling down. Now I'm more angry. And you need to get out of my house because you said that, right? Yeah, I don't want to hear that. I think that's the situation that's going on here with Jonah. There wasn't going to be an answer because he was just so angry. There was, there was no way to talk to him in a common sense mode. It just, it just wasn't going to happen. You weren't going to talk him out of this situation. In fact, when, you know, when we come across people like this, or maybe when we are like this, it, it's better to wait. You know, it's better to just let them go through it for a while, just be angry, and maybe down the road you can talk some sense to them. Maybe you can actually have a discussion You've been in these situations before, I'm sure, on both ends, where you've been the angry one or where you've been the one who sees the answer, but you just need to let them do their thing for a minute. That's where Jonah is. But shortly, God is going to get Jonah's attention. He's not going to let him go off and be angry. No, Jonah is going, or God is going to deal with Jonah, and he's going to deal with Jonah's heart. And so as we move on in verse five, it says what Jonah does is Jonah's done now preaching to the city. God's word is working. People are repenting. Jonah is now angry at God. And it says he leaves the town and he goes east of town up top where he can overlook the town. And so after God questions Jonah, again, he kind of flees. He leaves town. And if you remember, at first, Jonah fled west. Well, now we see him fleeing east. And an interesting point that uh, I was reading from Pastor Adriel Sanchez is he said, normally in the Old Testament, when you see east, it means exile. East usually means exile. That's what it's talking about. And he gave some examples. Adam and Eve sent east of Eden. Cain settles east of Eden. Lot goes east to live in Sodom. Nineveh was the land east of Israel. And now we see the prophet of God, the man of God in our story, desire to go east of town. He's going to his own little exile. He's going to his own little place. And it tells us in verse five that what Jonah does is Jonah sets up a booth for himself. Now, what is kind of ironic and sad, and the writer in Jonah uses irony a lot and kind of uses some humor, not that we would laugh at it, but in the way he was writing, because it says Jonah set up a booth for himself. Now, booths were normally supposed to be representative of the covenantal promises of God. That's why they would make booths. But Jonah's angry at God. He's ticked at God. And so he makes this booth, not because he's happy with God, not because he's happy about God's promises or his steadfast love, but because he wants shade. Jonah's east of town and he's looking for comfort. He's looking for some hope that that city will be destroyed. That's what he wants. And so what he's building for himself is he's building his own security. He's building up for himself his own peace, while within his heart, his heart just bubbles with rage and anger. He's being eaten up alive from the inside because he is so frustrated, yet on the outside, what he wants is peace. He wants comfort. He wants security, but he's not willing to settle his anger with the one that he knows actually provides that. 
So he's going to try to do it on his own. And so he builds this little structure for himself to where maybe he can just get out of the heat and get away from the sun and hopefully watch God destroy this city. Well, as we get to verse six, we see, thankfully, God doesn't leave Jonah alone for a long time. He didn't make, he didn't make Jonah answer the first question, but now he's going to get him to a point to where he starts to answer. Because in verse six, it says, the Lord appointed a plant. So God in his great might and his great power has a plant grow by Jonah and it grows very quickly and it grows so much that it says it gives shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Now that's an interesting picture because you have the prophet of God, the man of God ticked off at God and angry at God. And what does God do? God gives him comfort. He doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve it for a second. Yet while he is cursing God on the inside, God provides for him shade and comfort so that he can get out of the heat. And it says Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Man, what a roller coaster of a life he lives, doesn't he? And so he's exceedingly glad because of the plant. But then it says dawn comes. And so we have a happy prophet. He's once again happy. He's happy with God. But then dawn comes and it says that God appoints a worm and this worm devours the plant so that it is gone. Jonah no longer has any shade for his head. And how do we find him? We find him angry yet again. He's ticked off. So much so that Jonah would tell God and would say, I want to die. I am so angry. I am so uncomfortable. I am in a position that I do not want to be in so much so that what I really wish is I wish I would just die. God, just kill me. And this brings up a question. God asks him a second question in verse nine. It says, God says to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Now you remember his first question was the exact same, except it wasn't for the plant. He asked Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah wouldn't respond. So he asked him again, because he's got a little object lesson for him here. Jonah, do you think you are right? Do you think it is actually okay for you to be angry because of this plant? Jonah responds, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Jonah who sought comfort, got it, and then he was taken away from him, and because of this, he is absolutely furious. And so we see Jonah wanting to die because of Nineveh. We see Jonah wanting to die because of uncomfortable heat, and we see Jonah wanting to die over this plant that covered his head. The prophet of God, Jonah, is really coming across bad here. But no doubt we can all see ourselves in the lives of Jonah. Think about the extremes that you go through in a single day over the littlest things. No doubt all of us go through big things in our life, difficult things, things with doctors, things with money, things at work, things within relationships, things that are straining, things that are hard. But if you think about your average day, I want you to think about the ups and downs that you go through in a day. You talk about a roller coaster of a life. Most of us live life this way. We let whatever is happening determine our mood, determine our character, determine what we are going to be like. 
It frustrates me. This happens in my house and it happens in other places. I hear it all the time. But there are people who act like being hangry is a real thing. Have you ever heard that phrase before? They use it as a clinical term that is real that you actually have to submit to because they are hangry. If you don't know what hangry means, it means I'm hungry, therefore I'm angry. I'm so hangry, I'm angry, I'm hangry. As if it's legitimate. I've had my kids before, so mad and frustrated. Why are you, what is going on? I'm so hungry, as if it's justified now. Oh, okay, cool, yeah. Then be angry all you want, because you're hungry. What? But we let our stomachs determine a lot in our lives. I do, all the time. I can go to a restaurant and be so excited I go to the restaurant, but if the food is just somewhat not good, I leave the restaurant furious. I wasted my money on this junk. I could have ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and been way happier at home. And I'm just letting that determine my mood. I'm letting that determine my, my day. And so when I look at Jonah, I know Jonah's things are, might be a little bigger than the things that I am talking about, but how often in my life I let anger overcome me over the silliest things, over the smallest, minute things. And it seems like at times in my life, actually, I am drawn to that, that I want to be angry. I look at Facebook. Why? To be angry. That's why I look at Twitter. I look at the news. Why? So I can be angry and see how dumb those people are. That's what I want. That's what I want to see. That's what I want to hear. That's what I want to know. That's, how, that's who I want to be. That's how we act. And that's Jonah. Jonah just sitting, not in the shade anymore, having his little pity party, and God asking him, Jonah, do you really think you have the right to be angry at this plant? And Jonah has the audacity to speak back to God and to say, absolutely. Absolutely I do. So much so, I am so angry. Just let me die. So God asks the final question. Verse 10. And the Lord said, Jonah, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? The writer of Jonah ends the book with this Last question that God asked Jonah after giving him this object lesson that was very difficult for Jonah to go through, saying, Jonah, do you really have the right to pity this plant when you had no part in it whatsoever? You didn't plant the seed in the ground. You didn't cause it to come up. I mean, what happened here was a miracle. God caused a miracle to happen for this plant to go up that fast and to cover Jonah. That is a miracle. And then another miracle happened when God caused it to die by a worm. And he's saying, Jonah, do you really think you had a part in that at all where you could be frustrated or angry about what happened? How much more important are the lives of those 120,000 people who, by the way, Jonah, you had no part in raising up. You had no part in creating. You have no part in them whatsoever. Those poor people don't know their right hand from their left hand. They don't know any of it. Do you think you have the right to determine their destruction? Do you think you have the right to determine their fate? This is the final question that God asks to Jonah. God's saying, I am the creator of all things. 
Who in the world, Jonah, are you to for one second question anything that I do at any moment, whether it's a plant or whether it's a city? You see, the writer of Jonah at this point, at no doubt, what he is wanting his Jewish readers to answer is this question for themselves. Because for most Jews of the day, as they would read this, honestly, the way that they would answer this question is very simple. No, I don't want you to relent from them. They need to die. They're enemies of God. They're enemies of Israel. They're enemies of our nation. And they need to be destroyed. Don't relent from this, God. You need to destroy them. That would have been the answer at first. But as the writer walks them through this thing with the plant and shows them the foolishness of this kind of thinking, I think what the writer is doing here is hoping that the answer will be different for the Jewish people who are reading this. That they will begin to understand the sovereignty of God, how God is over everything. And so as we get to the end of Jonah, hopefully that answer is different. And we still sit faced with the same question. The same question that the Jewish readers would have read a long time ago, we still sit faced with as well. Who are we to question God, especially when it comes to his mercy and his compassion, especially when we're the ones who've received his great mercy and his great compassion? How could we ever begin to question him for his goodness, for his kindness, and for his steadfast love? Yet oftentimes we do that, don't we? Oftentimes we do question God about why this and why that. Why is this happening in their life? Why is this going on? But I don't know if we sit in that seat. I don't think that's our right. And so as we close out on the book of Jonah, there's just three quick thoughts that I want to give you in looking at it. Some of these we've already discussed as we went through the whole book. But the first thing is this. In Jonah, what we see We talked about this last week more extensively as we see God's mercy, God giving Jonah a second chance, God saving a people who in Jonah's eyes were completely unworthy. This is the character of God and his truth. He is long in patience. He is steadfast in his love. He is full of justice, but at the same time, he is 100% full of mercy. And he gives his compassion and he shows his mercy. And we see it all through the book of Jonah. Again, I've said this before. If I'm God, Jonah is dead a long time ago. Or I'm just not having anything to do with him. He's not going to be on my team anymore. He's not going to be on my side anymore. I don't want to speak to Jonah anymore. He's lost his chance. But God continued to love Jonah and he continues to approach Jonah. We don't know how this story ends with Jonah. I hope, I hope when God asked that third question, Jonah repented again. I hope he turned to God. I I hope he understood and said, yeah. That's my prayer. That's what I hope happened in Jonah's life. I don't know that for sure, but that's what I hope. Even at the end, God is giving Jonah mercy, giving him opportunity after opportunity. The second thing we see throughout the book of Jonah is we see God's absolute sovereignty. First of all, we see it in his plan. It was all a part of God's plan, everything that happened. It did not surprise God that Jonah fled. It did not surprise God that Jonah got thrown overboard. It did not surprise God that the fish was there to swallow Jonah, that it would vomit him up on dry ground, not somewhere in the middle of the ocean. 
It didn't surprise God when Jonah then would go to Nineveh. It didn't surprise God that the people repented. None of that caught God off guard at all. In fact, it all worked out perfectly in his plan. Perfectly. We don't know what happened in the town of Nineveh before Jonah got there. Maybe in that meantime, when he was off running, God was doing something in Nineveh to prepare their hearts for what they were going to hear when Jonah finally got there. We don't know. But I know this, it was God's plan and it worked out exactly according to how God had planned it to work out. And it resulted in the repentance of a whole town. And so in God's sovereignty in his plan, we see this in Jonah, but we also see God's sovereignty over his own creation. And I think this is where you and I oftentimes get in trouble when it comes to actually trusting in the sovereignty of God. In Jonah, we see God in the power of the storm. He causes the storm to come. He causes the storm to stop. We see God in the power over the fish. God created that fish. He used that fish. It was his creation. We see God in the power with the plant, causing the plant to just come up overnight so big, causing that plant to be gone the next day. But all of this, all of this control that God has over his creation, all of this is to show Jonah and to show us his power over us. Us, his creation, that includes us. We need to trust that God has power over us. This isn't going to be on the screen, but I'm going to read it for you. And I can't help to go here when I think about this, but it's Job chapter 38. And I want to read a good chunk of it for you because this is God answering Job as Job would question God. And I want you to hear God's answer to Job, but I want us to hear it as if God is answering us. Because like I said, we are so similar to Jonah with the ebbs and flow of our every day. All it takes is your boss to say one thing. And what happens? Horrible. My life is horrible. I hate this place. I got to get out of here. All it took was a word. All it took was something small. We are so similar to Jonah. But look at how God answers Job when he would be questioned. It says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut it in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment from the wicked. Their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked into the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all of this. All of us sit here today having to answer that question from God. If you, like me, are guilty of 
throwing questions out at God about his plan, about his sovereignty, about what he does over his creation. If you are guilty like me, and I'm putting that in here, then we have to answer just like Job would need to answer. God would go on for a lot longer. I'm just not reading it. Think, Job, where were you when I had the storehouses of snow and hail? Do you know how big those are? Do you know how I did that? I ask you. Do you know how God created all of this? Do you know the plan? Do you really know how it all ends? Oh, some think they do. The Bible tells us you don't. You think you have all the answers? You think you have the right to pity the plant? You don't. God is sovereign. God is in control. You think you have the right to question God of who is his child and who is not? Let me tell you something. You don't. Parents, that's a hard thing for us to swallow as parents. There's nothing we want more, I would hope, as Christians than for our, than for our children to truly be saved by God's grace and trust in him with their life. We, we desire that. But my kids, that's, that's not my right. I can't determine that for them. I cannot give them mercy. I cannot give them steadfast love. I cannot provide for them salvation. Only God can do that. And God 100% has the right to choose to do that or not. It's a hard thing to swallow for me. It's a hard thing to say, but it's the truth of God's word. You see in Romans chapter nine, verse 14 through 24, Paul would speak of this. And he says it this way. Paul says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I've raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? And here's Paul's best way to kind of be like the writer of Job. But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. You see, Paul was dealing with the exact same thing that we struggle with. He was dealing with people who were saying, those people don't deserve God. They don't deserve God. This isn't how it all is supposed to be. This isn't the plan. This, is how it, this, is, this isn't right, Paul. This is for the Jews, not for the Gentiles. And you remember, Paul's a missionary to the Gentiles, and this is Paul's response to them. He's looking at them and he's saying, who in the world are you to determine who God's love is shown to? You're not. You don't have that right. You're not the keeper of this. You're not the one who determines who gets compassion, who gets mercy, and who gets destruction. The same struggle that Jonah had had years and years and years before, Paul had to deal with. And we still struggle with the same thing today. 
we have to understand we are not God and that is a good thing. God is God and he is absolutely sovereign over his creation. He is absolutely sovereign over his plan. And as I share at every single funeral that I do, his ways are perfect, not ours. His ways are perfect, not ours. And we see that all through Jonah. The last thing we see in the book of Jonah is in Jonah we see a type of Christ that causes us to see Jesus as the Christ and to see his superiority. Jonah in here in this, in this chapter was just overwhelmed with anger over the scandal of God's grace on Nineveh. Yet the real scandal isn't God having mercy on some of his creation. The true scandal in all of scripture is God pouring out his wrath, not on creation, but God pouring out his wrath on his son. That's what should break our heart. Seeing God pour out his wrath on Jesus, the one who is fully God and fully man, the one who lived his perfect life. Yet we see in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, and in John, we read the accounts of the cross. And that's the scandal of history, that God would pour his wrath out on his son. Why? For his creation, us. The Jonas of the world who sit there and are angry and complete whiners all the time. The people who constantly question God, what are you doing? Why is that person rich and I'm struggling? Why is their house so nice? Or me, I like to do this one. Why does that teenager have a Jeep and I can't afford one of those things? Why is their truck so nice? Mine's full of rust and barely runs. They're like 12. This is ridiculous. It's those actions and those attitudes that God poured his wrath out on his son. And that's the scandal. Jesus didn't deserve that. I deserve it. But God, in his great character that we've seen all through Jonah, has shown his mercy on me, a sinner, through his son, through Jesus, through his death on the cross, I have received grace. I have been given steadfast love. I have been shown compassion that like Jonah, don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But God has given it to me. Why? Because of his love for me. That's what he's done. Because of his character, because of who he is. And for those of you this morning who've experienced God's grace, you know you've been saved by God's grace. That's your story too. You are Jonah, begging for God to die, but yet God has better story for you, and it was Jesus. It was his son. And in you, he sees his son. He sees Jesus. He sees his perfect righteousness in your life as a believer, as a Christian. And that's good news because we know even as Christians still every day we have this roller coaster of a ride and we struggle with it. But praise be to God, he still loves us. He's forgiven us. He still cares for us like a good father. And just like how Jonah would try to flee and run away, God would not allow it because he was God's child. And it's the same for you as a Christian. God will not let you flee. He will not let you go so far. He loves you too much. He loves you through his son. 
And so he will not do that. And so I think as we reflect on Jonah, we have to look at this in our life of one, being thankful for what God has done, but, but also learning. Maybe this morning for you, it's anger that just continues to eat you up inside. Uh, maybe it's angry at God and you need to deal with that with him and understand his sovereignty. Maybe it's anger at a family member, at a friend, at yourself. I don't know what it is, but as we see with Jonah's life, anger just destroys it eats us up and we got to answer those questions that Jonah had to answer. And so maybe that's the question for you this morning. Do you have a right to be angry? Maybe that's something you need to deal with today. Uh, maybe this morning what you need to deal with is the fact that you've never trusted in Christ. <clears throat> what I was just talking about, how, Christ, how God sees Christ in you, that's, that, that doesn't apply to you because you've never trusted in Jesus. You've never trusted in what he did on the cross for your sins and for your salvation. Maybe this morning, for the first time, you wanna say, I submit my life to that. I, I'm trusting in that. If that's you, I would encourage you, if you really have those questions, I would encourage you to take that bulletin that you got and tear that connection card off and write that and let me have a conversation with you. I'd love to talk to you more about it because no doubt you have questions and hopefully I could answer some of those questions. But as we've gone through Jonah, I hope that you will respond to God's word how we should. And I think really at the end of Jonah, how we should respond to God is being in awe of his power, his might, and in his sovereignty and also being awed by his love and his compassion and his mercy that he continues to pour out on undeserving sinners like you and like me. And he deserves our worship and he deserves our praise because of it. Let's bow together. Let's pray together. And then we're gonna have a song that we can worship God together. God, we thank you this morning for the book of Jonah. God, it's amazing how often I see myself in Jonah. Somebody willing to flee, even when I know the right thing to do. And God, how so often that is because of pride in my life and my heart. It's because of anger that I hold in my heart. And God, it's because of those things, I'm so thankful for Jesus and what he has done for me. God, I believe that you saved me years ago and God, I definitely can see in my life where you have helped me to grow, to gain wisdom, knowledge, all these different things. But God, yet still, there's so many struggles. There's so many bumps in the road. There's so many times where throughout a day, I can be as happy as can be and then as angry as can be over the silliest things where I can just let sin, it seems like rule in my life. But God, I'm very thankful to know that as your child, you've already forgiven me of all those sins, but, but you still call me to come to you and to repent. And so God, I know that when I do that, you are there with that steadfast love. You are there with that compassion. You are there with kindness and mercy over and over and over again. And so God, I, I thank you for that. I thank you for the book of Jonah to remind me of those things in my life. God, God, I'm thankful that you're in control, that you are sovereign, that it's not based on me. God, that's, that's a weight that I 
cannot bear. It's a weight that I cannot hold. I just cannot do that. And God, oftentimes in my life, though, I act as if I want to bear that weight. I, I act as if I have answers. But God, again, I know that's just pride. And so God, I just ask that you would help me, that you would help other Christians here this morning, help us as a church to recognize your sovereignty, to recognize you are in control of all things. And God, yes, there are things you call us to be faithful to as Christians that we need to be faithful to your word, faithful to gathering together, faithful to fellowship, faithful to sharing the gospel with people. But God, we help us to understand that you are the one that works in those things. You are the one that can soften a hard heart. You are the one that saves. You are the one that pours that grace out on people, that free gift that is undeserved. God, only you can do that. So God, of course, as Christians, as a church family, we want to be faithful in those things you call us to. And God, we look forward to seeing your faithfulness, your steadfast love, your compassion, your mercy, mercy being poured out not just on us, but on sinners in desperate need of a savior. So God, this morning, as we begin to wrap up this service, I pray that we would worship you here in a moment as we sing. But God, also help us to respond to your word as we reflect on the book of Jonah and what you've taught us in it. Help us to deal with what we need to deal with. Help us to be honest with you. God, as Jonah would say those things, it was only hurting himself. So God, as we look at that very last question that you would ask Jonah at the end of the chapter, who are you? God, help us to answer that right. To be able to say, I am your child who trusts in you, Father, for everything and your plan for all things. Praise you in all things. Help us to pray that. Help us to mean that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.